I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers from KLCC Studios. My guest today is Matt Van Wyk, the founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong Brewing and Blending. Van Wyk talks about his journey from science teacher to brewmaster from one of our region's signature breweries. Matt Van Wyk, the founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong Brewing and Blending. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you get into brewing? Well, um, it's kind of a long story, but in the short of it is, I was a science teacher, hmm. and I have um, a background in science teaching. I did that for six years in the Chicago suburb area. Um, I was homebrewing at the time. This is um, mid to late 90s, okay. and I had a revelation, and I realized that brewing and making beer is science, but I, I didn't make the connection before while I was while I was being trained to be a science teacher. Okay. And the light came on, and I pursued it. Wow. So did you start professionally in the Midwest in Chicago? I did. I did. I've been a brewer since 2001, so mm-hmm. in this spring, I'm celebrating my 22nd year of professional brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was teaching and had spring break off, summer break off, winter break off, all those times. And I walked into a brew pub and asked if I could help out while I was um, you know, free from work. And I started my volunteer sort of path that way. Okay. Science teacher. So obviously there, there must be some parallels because obviously there's a, a lot of science, as you, as you mentioned, that go into brewing. But I wonder too, you know, teaching has, a, a, there's a lot that goes into becoming a teacher. Were there elements besides the science that have helped you in your career? Oh, there's a whole lot of things. I think when you think about um, people learning about craft beer, which is sometimes different uh, than the no- beer they drink normally, Maybe that's not the case here in Oregon because we are so beer, craft beer centric, but I've spent the last 20 years doing a lot of teaching mm. of how we make beer um, and, and owning a brewery now, I've become one of the faces of our brewery and I have to explain a lot. So public speaking happens a lot, uh, things that I was doing and teaching as well. Yeah, yeah. So then how did, how did a Chicago kid get out here to the West Coast? Well, that was interesting because I grew up in Iowa, as did my wife, okay. and we aren't city people. But I found myself teaching middle school and high school science. And uh, when it was time to have kids, we uh, kind of needed to get to some place that wasn't large city suburbia. Okay. And so we were looking at college-type towns. My wife works for the university here, and um, so we needed a place that had a college. And um, it just so happened that my... Um, sister-in-law is a dentist in Eugene and one of her patients was the owner of Oakshire Brewing and Mm. the connection happened because we were wanting to move out here and work for some brewery in the Eugene area where we had family located and uh, stumbled into Oakshire Brewing and fortunately I was offered a job. Wow. You mentioned that when you were in in the Midwest, you were a home brewer. Is that kind of the natural path to become a master brewer? Does the curiosity start kind of as an amateur? Yeah, you know, a lot of times it does. And and certainly in the past it did because there were a lot less formal ways to go about becoming a brewer. Now there's a whole lot more brewing schools you can attend to get a formal training. But in the past it was you get the itch from home brewing, you learn a lot that way, and then sometimes it leads to a career in the brewing industry. Was there a moment when you were a home brewer and you made a batch and you said, oh, I can do this? Or, or, or was it, or, or maybe even 
in addition to that, talk about the trial and error. I mean, I imagine there were some batches you're like, Ugh, you well, know, the, kind of. yes. The first time I made an all grain batch, you know, usually you start out with some extract and you just use the hot water and the malt extract and you may add a little bit of hops and then you pitch your yeast and you hope it turns out. And a few of my batches did. Um, however, the first time I made an all grain batch, I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't crack the barley right. That one went down the drain because it just <laughs> didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I imagine too, I mean, were, were, were there times when you're like, boy, I hope I do this right. So I don't make myself sick. I mean, what did you, what did your kind of your knowledge of yeast and, and your knowledge of fermentation from being a science teacher, maybe keep you safe, but also kind of impart to you this, this, this knowledge of, of how this for, for someone, a, a lay person like myself, this magic that happens. Yeah, well, it, it, the great thing about having some science background is you've got a good start. And the first thing you know is, um, you know, beer has low enough pH where pathogens can't live in it. So it's not going to make you sick. You okay. know, even if you mess up and there's off flavors, you're like, okay. Good to know. <laughs> I, I, I can drink this even though I don't like to drink it. Okay. Um, but but there is an interesting thing, and, and many homebrewers find this, whether they have a science background uh, education or not, um, but you just get excited by the fact that a single cellular organism in the fungus family can eat sugars, make CO2 and alcohol, and produce this artistic and unique beverage that people like to drink. And, and I think when you realize what's happening on a cellular and a, and a microbial level, it gets very interesting. At least to me, it did. Sure. In addition to homebrewing and becoming a brewer, do you also dabble in other kinds of pursuits along the line? Do you like to cook? Have you ever made wine? What are, is, is the creative outlet just brewing or, there, or does it manifest itself for you personally in other ways? I never thought of myself as a very creative and artistic person because um, I can't draw very well. My handwriting is bad. Okay. I can't paint a picture. And so I thought art isn't my thing. And I really um, enjoy cooking. That's one thing I've gotten into a lot. We cook at home a lot. And um, I think I took that sort of passion for making stuff that I can create for someone, give it to them, and they enjoy it and say thank you. That mm -hmm. same thing can happen in making a beer. And I think that is a way that I can have an artistic um, outlet. Yeah, yeah. So when you got to Eugene, um, you know, I, I'm sure – Sitting here in 2023, we all can kind of think, oh, it's, it's a mecca for, 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 for craft brewing. But I imagine it maybe it, it's taken time to sort of become that. Talk about your early experiences when you got here. You, you went to work uh, for, for a brewery. Did you know right away, wow, this is, this is, you know, this is the perfect place or I'm going to connect into a community to help build it into something? Right. Well, it was definitely a different scene at that time. Um, I started visiting Eugene in about 2004. And a couple of years after that, my wife and I decided that maybe this is where we wanted to lay roots. And so I started talking to some of the brewers that were around at that time, which, you know, there was, I don't even know, four or five breweries in town. But um, Jamie Floyd, who now owns Ninkasi, and Terry Ferendorf, who was the brewer at Steelhead, and some of these breweries that have been around for a little while, I started talking to them and lay the seeds of whether I could get a job. And at the time, it was really just, let's see if I can get a job there. And um, it's already got a good foundation. There's already a lot of nice brew pubs and breweries. But this, when I was visiting, it was before Ninkasi ever started, before Hop Valley ever started, before Oakshire ever started. Um, so it was a very different scene. Nowadays, we have upwards of 15 or 16 breweries in this small town. Um, 
And it's great that I was a part of it, that I came to it in 2009 and helped build it to what it is today. But I imagine too, you were kind of inventing the path at that time, because I would imagine today it's, it's, there might be a well-trod path to become a master brewer if someone wants to open up a brewery or whatnot. But take me back to when you first got here. I imagine, as you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of schooling opportunities and I imagine the business model was still pretty nascent. Right, right. There was definitely um, a different way that people were going about running their breweries, um, starting their breweries. Um, at that time, you know, um, in the early 2000s, IPA wasn't what it was today. Um, in fact, uh, an interesting story is uh, the founder of Oakshire Brewing, where I went to work to start here in Eugene, um, he was just going to make draft amber ale for the local area. Um, that has since changed, and they make all kinds of great styles and great beers. Um, and I think many of the other early breweries, they probably had a way different mix of the beers. Well, now IPA is king, and everyone has to have several IPAs in their brewery, except for Ailsong. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's just a, a, a different way of looking at it. But every brewery that's successful and still around today or that's thriving has had to just change with the consumer's preferences, and, and we do that too. Well, and and it's interesting the way you phrase that because – Consumer tastes change, but you also influence consumer taste, don't you? That's right. I think I think there's a good balance of both. We need to be perceptive of what people enjoy and are buying because we have to be able to pivot with that. But at the same time, it's good to be leaders. Um, it isn't always see what people are drinking and make that. It's let's tell people what they should drink. And I, I like leading in that perspective. Okay. Okay. We're going to take our first break. We're talking with Matt Van, Matt Van Wyk. He is the founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong Brewing and Blending. We'll be right back. I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. The High Desert Museum south of Bend brings visitors directly into the experience of the natural world. What this museum has done from the beginning with incredible skill is to put our visitors into a time and a place and a space to connect to the human story and the natural landscape in an emotional way. Dana Whitelaw talks about the fun and impact of the museum on KLCC's Oregon Grapevine, klcc.org. And we're back talking with Matt Van Wyk. He is the founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong Brewing and Blending. Let's talk about Alesong, how it sort of began and and your role and and your team's role and and kind of what makes it unique. Right. So I, uh, in 2016, along with uh, my co-founders, Brian and Doug Coombs, opened Alesong Brewing and Blending. We set out to make a brewery that was focused on barrel aging. Uh, In fact, now everything we do is aged in either retired wine barrels or retired spirits barrels. And a big part of what we do is blending of those beers. Um, Beers mature in the barrels as wine kind of does. We taste those beers with regularity and we blend them together to something wholly new um, and creative. Talk about the barrels and how important they are. I look at barrels as a fifth ingredient. You know, to make beer, you need malted barley and maybe some other grains. You need water, hops, and yeast. We use all those things, but we also use the barrel. And just like you get oak and tannin flavors into wine, the same thing can happen into beer. And also, you can get the spirit flavors, the things from bourbon and gin and tequila and rum. That gets infused into the beer as it matures in the barrel, and it becomes just another layer of flavor that you can add to the beer to make something more complex and unique. 
And you've talked before about that, that you have sort of this partnership with King Estates and, and certainly they're a well-known winery in town. Talk about that and how it's influenced the, the beer that you make. Right. So we um, are located, our, our main tasting room and cellar is out by King Estate in wine country. Um, and what we set out to create was a, a unique tasting room setting in wine country where when you're out tasting wine in particular, and you get that quiet feeling that you're away from the traffic, you're away from the noise and the stress of life, and all is good in the world because the view is good, the wine in the glass is good, the conversation with your partner is good. We wanted to build that into the beer world, and no one had really been doing that. So we did it, and we plopped out there on five acres right beside King Estate. We share a border, uh, property line with them. And... Then we can make these beers aged in barrels and use all kinds of fruit found all over the Willamette Valley. We're very lucky in that sense is that we've got this source of great fruit, and we get a lot of that from our friends at King Estate right next door because they not only grow grapes, but they have blueberries and they have raspberries, and we've used um, all kinds of fruit from them that goes right into our beer. How did that idea come about is, is, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, for someone my age, you know, back in the day, it's like, okay, it's water, it's barley, it's hops. It tastes like Budweiser or whatever. What for you personally, or maybe even if you could add some historical context to the industry is when did that come about where you're really going to, if, if, if this is the wrong phrase, I apologize, but kind of push the envelope of taste, blending a whole bunch of different ingredients. Right. Well, a lot of the beers that we make are influenced heavily by the Belgian brewing tradition, the Lambic tradition. And that's many centuries old where, um, typically these beers would be open fermented, whatever yeast was in the air would fall into the um, vats of wort and ferment them. We don't really do that step very often. Um, and then they would be aged in these barrels like we are doing. And then you would often add fruit to those beers. And part of the reason for that is, well, the fruit was grown there and fruit tastes good in drinks. But then also that would balance a lot of the sourness. Um, some of our beers aged in wine barrels are have some level of acidity to them and you compare that very nicely with fruit whether it be grapes whether it be peaches apricots cherries and so that tradition has been going on for decades now it did get go into the craft beer industry because there's lots of fruit beers that are made all over the place as an ingredient mm -hmm. back in the day before you could get fruit or if you're in somewhere else in the country where you just have to use fruit essences or fruit purees, kind of that fakey tasting fruit. Okay. Um, that happens, but we are so uh, blessed to be able to use fresh fruit that blends so nicely with the beers that we make. So take me through uh, a day in the life, if you will, of, 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 of Ale Song in terms of maybe talk about both the inspiration for the beers, but also what does a master brewer do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, as a small business owner, uh, most people that are in that sort of uh, realm know that you do a little bit of everything. You yeah. put on a different hat every day. Um, but in a small brewery, you know, the brewmaster, uh, that title is, is kind of strange because in Europe, it's often put on someone who's gone through uh, many years of schooling. You don't just take on the brewmaster role. In American craft beer, it's often the person who is in charge of the, you know, the beer quality, the beer production, the beer, um, uh, yeah, the beer quality and mm -hmm. the final product. 
Um, at our brewery, it's interesting. We're split up this way. Um, I was the founding brewmaster in that I made all the, the wort, um, but my two business Describe part- what wort is. Oh, yes. Like- thank you. That's a good, good question. Um, wort is unfermented beer. So mm. when you cook the um, barley and other grains with hot water and add the hops and then boil it, before you add the yeast, that's wort. Okay. Kind of a, a silly term, but that's wort. And I, for five years, I did that. Mm-hmm. One of the um, big things about Alesong is we have three founders who are all full-time employees and integral in the success of our brewery because of our skill set. Uh, Brian Coombs is our production manager and cellar master, and he deals with all the fermentation, um, the fruit additions, the barreling, and the packaging, the f- finishing that product. Um, Doug is in charge of our tasting room and our direct to consumer things and our club that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm doing sales. Um, but your question to what is a day in the life of a brewmaster? If, if you were the head brewer at a small brewery, you might be making a batch of beer every day. You might be tasting the barrels to see how they're tasting and work on a blend. In our case, we're a very small brewery and we make kind of large batches of base beers that go into these barrels then to be later blended. So we only brew a couple times a month. And so sometimes when you come into our cellars, it feels like you're on a wine tour because you don't see the hustle and bustle as you do in every everyday brewery, regular breweries, I should say. Um, but it's still the same thing. You're making the work, you're dealing with barrels, you're packaging beer, all those kind of things happen. Was it once you kind of left being an employee of a, of a brewer to come and, and, and really start your own, what was it like to, you, you said very well, put on a whole bunch of different hats because all of a sudden now it's not just that you're making the beer, you're, you're doing, you know, a lot of stuff. How was that in terms of a learning curve and, and how was that <laughs> for you personally? It, it's a double-edged sword because, uh, you know, the stress is the first thing I, I thought of is like, it's on you. It's, it's your deal now. Mm-hmm. And you, when you're working for someone you know that the, the buck start stops with that owner and, and the decisions that get made. Well, now you're the one making those decisions, you and your business partners. Um, and it is great that we have three of us total to make these decisions. It's always, we can get a majority vote out of that too. Yeah. Um, but it, it's also freeing in the fact that um, you get to make the shots, you get to, you know, decide what is made, you get to decide how it's branded and you get to decide how it's sold. Um, and while those things are challenging, it's nice that now the ball's in your court to be able to do it how you think is best. And, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I imagine it's stressful, though, in, in, in one context. You probably could have gone into a lot of different businesses. You could have made a widget. And a widget might be something that people are going to buy and say, okay, I need this widget. But tastes can change rapidly, the, the, consume, the, the, the general public and the consumer. Does it... Does it keep you up at night that you're thinking, wow, you know what? IPAs may go out of fashion tomorrow or something like that. Yeah. If we would have made widgets, I would have been making a lot more money because I think widgets are much more profitable than the <laughs> beer industry. But, but um, you know, it, it does a little bit. Um, um, I think that one thing is we're small and can pivot a little bit. Um, one thing is that I think that what we provide – at Ale Song is not just quality, high quality, unique beer, which which we do. Um, I think we're also providing an experience out in the country at our tasting rooms and in town at our new tasting room. 
Um, we're providing great service, which service is never going to go out of style. Yep. And so I think even if even if tastes change somewhat, and we're noticing that, you know, we for the type of beers we make, we see farmhouse sales. Um, that type of beer doesn't sell as well on the package stores because the package stores, the grocery stores, are so crowded. Um, we can sell a lot in our tasting room, so we notice that, and we can change the amount of beer we put in a bottle or in a keg, so we can pivot. Yeah. Also, nothing keeps me up at night. I don't stress that much. It's <laughs> it's, it's just beer. Sure. That's, that's the thing. Sure. But then you've also, I, th- I think, somewhat creatively created, uh, you know, wh- whatever you want to call it, uh, an affinity program. But talk about your club a little bit, because obviously that 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 sort of generates customer loyalty that maybe somebody doing something similar in terms of a product but doesn't have that can't uh, can't ascribe to. Right. We um we noticed a couple things when we started Ale Song. One is. The industry is getting more and more crowded. There are 9,500 craft breweries in our country, wow. which is a lot. Um, and if you see the stores, the grocery store shelves, there's just so much artwork on those shelves. It's crowded. How do you get picked out of that? And it's sort of like the wine shelf, too. There's a lot of wine bottles on the shelf made here in Oregon and across the Northwest. And we needed some way to differentiate ourselves. Well, we saw the wine industry doing that with clubs and a unique experience at their tasting rooms. And so we... We've stole that idea because I don't think anyone was doing it in the beer world very well. So we've got a club, and we do things like a winery, like I said, and, and we release beer four times a year. We have a release party where you come pick up your bottles. As a member, you get um, a certain amount of uh, things and benefits, and um, those customers are really our, our most loyal. They're, our, they're the ones out there, our cheerleaders who are promoting our brand best. And we've got a lot of people in the area who are in our club, and it's it's really been that direct-to-consumer sales that has fueled and sustained Alesong. Got it, got it. Well, we're going to take our next break. We're talking with Matt Van Wyk. He is the founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong. We'll be right back. The car that I donated actually was my parents' car. It needed some work to be done on it, and it got to the point that the cost of the repairs was going to be greater than the car was even worth so I decided to check with my dad to see if he agreed that maybe we should just donate it. Yeah, he was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that he got a tax write-off, and uh, he was happy that we supported public radio. Learn more about supporting KLCC by way of a vehicle donation at our website, klcc.org. And we're back talking with Matt Van Wyk. He is the uh, founding brewmaster and director of sales for Alesong. Um... How how much, I'm not exactly sure how to ask this, but for, from an industry perspective, you know, it, sometimes it, it feels like, you know, maybe the brewing industry didn't have the PR of the wine industry, and it seems to maybe have gotten a bit of a later start, but in the last 20 years or so, it's really exploded. Was that, a, in your opinion, having been both inside but also an observer of the industry, is it is it that... Um, you know, brewing just really hit its stride amongst maybe a certain generation, and it's become, like you said, thousands and thousands of 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 of, of, of breweries in the United States. And you're right; when you go to the store, it can be almost a, a visual assault of all the different you know artwork of beers that are available. Yeah, I'm not really sure when it exactly happened, but in the in the teens, 2012, 13, 14, things really exploded for breweries and. 
you know, I don't know when it happened for wineries, but I, you know, from what I heard in the seventies and eighties when I was a kid, okay. wine was big jugs of uh, Gallo wine <laughs> and it's changed. The whole industry has changed. And I think some of that is legislation. There was trade groups that pushed them to have, to really brand and market themselves um, the way they, they should. And they've grown to what they are today. In the beer industry, I know a lot of that work was done by the Brewers Association. That's our trade organization that made huge strides um, to make beer legal in more states. Um, You know, homebrewing wasn't even legal until about 1979 or 80 when Jimmy Carter. Yeah. I didn't realize that. We took a presidential... decree to, to get that going. <laughs> and, uh, now it wasn't legal, but people were doing it and sure. it wasn't being enforced. Um, so it wasn't until the eighties till you had really any craft breweries then called microbreweries. They ditched that microbrewery name because they aren't micro anymore. Mm. When you think about breweries like Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Deschutes, they're pretty big. Yeah. And so, yes, we've had a Renaissance. We've grown to, to huge numbers. You can find them in every town. Doesn't matter how small your state um, it's amazing that you can find um, so many breweries per capita. And I think that's just, it's it's the work of, like I said, our trade organizations. And also what's really done it for me is the quality of beer is so much better than two decades ago when I started. Mm. Not only are, do they have more brewing schools to teach brewers how to do this, but we're all figuring it out, whether that be from home brewing or working at a brewery. And Beer is really good now compared to how it was 20 years ago. Sure, sure. Well, it's interesting because I think that, you know, 20 years ago, it was like you differentiate a nation by its by its beer. And now it's like, like you said, almost every town now has its own sort of flagship or probably more flagship beers than ever before. Yeah, state, state to state, town to town. Um, it's amazing how many have grown. Yeah, it used to be American beer was this, German beer was this. Yeah. English beer was this, and now we've just got so much variety. Really, Bel- when I was uh, learning to brew, Belgium was the place that that was where all the different styles were. And if you wanted a, they called it the Disneyland of beer because you could get <laughs> so many things. Well, now America has become that, and European countries know it because yeah. we're we're making the most unique and best beers. H- have we surpassed Europe? Do you think? Oh yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. There, there's countries like Germany and Belgium um, where breweries are closing at an alarming clip. And I think there's some young people probably opening some some breweries. Um, but the whole world is changing, too, because there's other things people are drinking, whether it be hard seltzers, more cider, um, wine is still strong. Um, there's a lot of choices for drinkers. Yeah. This may sound like a strange question, but but I remember reading somewhere that and it was a it was a person who was very much uh, on the side of of the quality of beer and how important beer was. And he he said something like, you know, the difference between a kind of a very average bottle of wine and a great wine can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. Whereas the difference between an average beer and a great quality of beer, maybe just five or six dollars. Do you think that maybe part of this is, is a bit of a democratization of, of, of an adult beverage? Oh yeah, I I think so. I think um I think people notice that too. And when when um beer has always been an affordable luxury. I you know, if you want to have what's known as the best beers in the world, like you said, you're only spending a little bit more. You might spend $20, $25, $30, but it's not like you had to drop $450 on one bottle yeah. to get what people consider to be the best. And that's unique to beer. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back to something we we started talking about a little bit. You know, maybe if you could sort of encapsulate this blend of art and science in making beer. You know, you sound like you have a science background, and I forget if it's the right or left side of the brain, but I mean, it obviously must interact with the other side of the brain too. From your perspective as a master brewer, what's more fun? What's more challenging? The idea of artistic expression versus the science behind it. Right. Science, art and science is always used in, in, in the making of beer and, and it's talked about a lot. And, you know, I think you said what's more fun and what's more challenging. I, I think the creative side is more fun because um, we have such a palette of tools and ingredients to use to make fun, unique beers that maybe have never been tasted before. And I find that creative side the most fun part of brewing mm-hmm. because you can color outside the lines and it's okay. And people accept it and buy it and drink it and praise you for it. And that's great. But yes, what was the most challenging? Indeed, I and did. That is the scientific <laughs> part because um, we have problems all the time, whether it be a broken pump, whether it be a beer that is not tasting great in the barrel or something didn't come out right in the beginning of your production and it's up to us to go find out what that is and uh with some scientific method you are um uh, interested in knowing the answers and so um we use science all the time to answer some of these questions and so you have to have both mm-hmm. um they're, they're both fun and challenging um but without them you don't have a full brewery sure this is probably a classic interview question but what is it about the industry that you think most people don't really understand? Hmm. Well, I have a feeling I could sit here and list you five things. Okay. But one thing that but one thing that came to mind is today's age of social media hmm. with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and things like that is uh businesses, all businesses, but breweries especially are showing you the fun times to be had. Drink this beer, eat this food, hang out with your buddies on our patio. Everything is awesome. And not every brewery is awesome. Hmm. Well, I shouldn't say is awesome. Uh, You know, it's still a small business, I guess is what I'm getting at. It's still, we all have struggles to make it work. We need more customers. We need to sell more beer. We need to be better at branding and marketing and things like that. The, all the things that all businesses, whether you're selling widgets or beer, need to think about. And so I think sometimes people think, oh, everything is great at that brewery and that brewery, and it's my favorite, and I won't go there today. So I guess the, the lesson I would give is just because the Instagram's good, you should go down and buy a beer from them and, uh, and, and yep. check them out. Well said, well said. Um, kind of my last question for you is kind of what's next? I know that you, you, you have now two tasting rooms, right? And yep. so talk about what your, what the future may hold for Ailsong. Right. Well, we're continuing to, uh, grow our club and make it more special for the people who are in it. Um, so they want to stay in our club. Um, one of the ways we're doing that for, for all people who visit our tasting rooms is, uh, we've, we've purchased a food cart that we're building out as our kitchen. Um, we provide food at both of our tasting rooms, but it's kind of small menus. And we are building this food cart so that we can provide a, 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 a bigger menu, uh, more sustaining food, and also do some special events with chefs, pop-ups, things like that. And so that'll make the experience out there better. Um, and then, you know, we're keeping our eye on maybe where a third tasting room could go. That, that may or may not happen, but um, 
Really direct to consumer sales over the bar is where um, a bigger piece of margin is than on the grocery store shelves. So we're looking at that and may go in that direction if it's right for us. Good enough, good enough. Well, Matt Van Wyk, uh, the founding partner and brewmaster of Alesong, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That was our conversation with Matt Van Wyk of Alesong Brewing and Blending. The job of brewmaster is part art and science, and Van Wyk is astute at both principles. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.